Hey guys, what's up? It is week 252, and uh, before we start, I want to let you guys know that there is a new like kind of show going to pop up. It's going to be on my, you know, my audio feed, and it's going to be on my channel as well, and it's going to be called The Secret Top 10. It's where I sit down with an indie director, actress, actor, or somebody involved with releasing films that I know or have had contact with, and, you know, probably has been on the show before. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do 13 episodes, so 13 weeks. Each one will be one week, one episode, that kind of deal. Then I'll take a break, 13-week break, and I'll come back if everybody likes it and do 13 more episodes. So the secret top 10 is essentially this. I sit down with somebody and uh, they give me a subject. They're, it's their choice and it's a secret. I do not know it. It uh, And then they give me like a subject, let's say they say favorite uh, horror movies from the 80s. So I have two minutes to write down my guesses, okay? Um, and then they go over their list I incorporate clips and stuff like that. We have some laughs. Uh, they go over the movies. Then uh, we talk about what I guessed and see how, how how well I did. And at the end, we'll usually do like a tournament for fun and everything like that. So, uh, yeah, hope, hopefully you guys like it. I'm going to try to get some episodes in the canon edited. I have two now, but I want to get five before I start the release. And I have, I have guests lined up and everything. So hopefully we'll get there soon. Anyways, let's hop into the reviews. And the first one up is from Epic Pictures or Dread Central. And this is Ditched. Um, yeah, so this one I uh, heard just a little bit about, not too much about, but I do kind of try to watch all the Dread Central releases. I've watched uh, almost all of them that have come out in the past few years, and I've found some real hidden gems in there. No, maybe not even hidden gems, but some ones I really liked quite a bit, like Harpoon or Uncle Uncle Peckerhead, stuff like that I, I really loved. So Ditched. Okay, this one starts off interesting enough. The concept is, pretty, is, is actually really intriguing. So essentially we have an ambulance driver, an ambulance... Uh, uh, transporting a, a few criminals to a uh, location. They're all obviously sick with something or medical kind of deal. And what happens is they're ran off the road. They do not know how it how it happened or anything like that. There's a lot of confusion. There's people that are injured, people that are, you know, unconscious and uh, the criminals. And there's one criminal that seems very dangerous and manipulative tied up. So fairly quickly, there seems to be kind of uh, creepy things or people in the background kind of provoking them and, and attacking them and whatnot. And it's up to this group of ambulance drivers, criminals, and police officers to try to survive the night. Um, the lighting and stuff like that is very 80s style. It's blues and reds. Um, it has a lot of like kind of John Carpenter inspired synth music. Now, I don't like to do this typically, but the acting ranges, you know, I don't want to point out anybody specifically, but um, I will point out a couple of performances I did really like. I think the killer has an interesting performance. Uh, the criminal who's kind of chained up saying really screwed up things. He has a couple funny lines. And I really like the ambulance driver, Jake. I thought he was uh, probably the strongest actor of the bunch. Of course, the movie it starts off with trying to convince you one way or possibly question mark, but it never really does. You never really feel like it, that's where it's going. And then the reveal is actually very interesting and, and very, you know, kind of, I would say fairly unique in, in this kind of aspect. Um, there are some gore effects that they work well. Um, there's a decent body count. All that stuff uh, is actually uh, well done. I, like I said, now when it comes to the synth music and the lighting, it does feel like this movie should have came out like five years ago or something along those lines. But, you know, 
indie movies and movies in general take a very long time to make. So, you know, by the time they get their product out, it's like, well, shit, we're behind on that. Or maybe some people are still really digging that. I know it's a fairly popular thing. Uh, synth music in the 80s style never really goes, you know, goes out of style. But uh, yeah, like I said, I don't want to spoil the absolute everything in the film. But uh, like I, I did enjoy the twist and I enjoyed the reasoning and the development of the characters as it went on. Some of the dialogue is iffy, I will say, almost a little weird at times amongst the characters in the situation. And some of the acting is kind of patchy in a lot of places, but there is some strong performances. Um, yeah. I, I would check this one out if it if it sounds like it's up your alley for a low budget horror flick you could do a lot worse um, yeah like I said and really a concept is is kind of the hardest thing honestly well it's not the hardest thing to do in any movie but it's so rarely done well right a lot of indie movies or horror movies are just ripoffs of a bunch of other movies you've already seen before this concept is fairly fresh and original and uh, yeah I, I would have liked to see uh, this director's work. Um, on a bigger budget or even another one this level because I, I think it worked in a lot of ways and there's a couple things that didn't work but no movie's perfect so check it out it is Ditched. Okay this next one is uh, the next one from the Shaw Brothers 88 Films line and this is Monkey Kung Fu and when I asked what a lot of people's favorite Shaw Brothers movies were this one popped up a lot so that's a good sign. This one I popped in and I, I really enjoyed myself so we have kind of like a um, I guess you'd say like those, those odd pairings you know like a ragtag like a group of, of um, odd couples kind of movie here but it's also a prison movie so it starts off with our main character being sentenced to prison for something that you know he basically stuck up for somebody and took out a bully and he went too far killed him he gets put into this prison and uh, this old guy who him and uh, they butt heads at first but eventually they become kind of friends with the old man respects his spirit and he gives him something before he's to be put to death um, this kind of weird uh, necklace emblem or something along those lines with writing on it of course you kind of know this is going to be like the catalyst of the story or whatever um, so Right, uh, that, that same day, a new prisoner comes in, and they're chained together, and um, they decide to make a run for it. And while they escape, they're still chained together, so they like they do not like each other at first. It's like I said, the odd couple kind of thing here, so they're fighting back and forth. There's so many movies like this, right? Well, I mean, like, you, you pair up two cops. It's, it's that kind of way, too. And there's a lot of ones where they have, like, the criminals escape, and there are odd pair of criminals that escape. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but it happens quite a bit. Hell, even in Tango and Cash, like, you have those kind of just these two people that are paired up, and they're just, like, fighting and I think whatnot. Um, so essentially uh, these two, there's a lot of good uh, fighting here because they're chained up and they're, there's just like a lot of playful stuff that's really imaginative and hilarious. So these two are stuck together at first and then they realize that somebody's chasing after this guy. These three guys that come looking for the old man, they wanted what he had. Now they know that this guy has it. So it becomes a big chase movie with these two uh, trying to escape, trying to get the chains free, running into all sorts of people. And it's really playful. And uh, the fighting is too. And uh, like they trick this blacksmith and helping them get their chains off by like kind of like having him attack them and they're moving the chains and stuff that stuff was all great um but it turns into something else um and, and there's kind of a lesson here as well uh because the main guy is kind of an arrogant so these two arrogant person these two end up realizing that uh they're meant to be together not in that way but and they end up finding what they're looking for and using like this special ancient technique and everything like that to fight baddies but that's not quite enough for one of them 
anyways, I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was uh, the best stuff is them running away. A lot of the movie is that like half the movie is, you know, the prison and the prison escape and that kind of stuff. And them kind of like fighting and having all these great moments uh, like with the chains and then all these playful stuff. It does have the training montage, of course, has good bad guys, too. They're memorable. They all are kind of over the top, like patch on their eye and shit, chasing them through villages and everything like that. So, I mean, it's got what you're looking for. It's got fun uh, action, different kind of action. Um, and it also has like a good a group of bad guys chasing after them. As far as the special features are concerned, we have um, they always have like the aspect ratio stuff. Audio commentary by Kenneth Bronson and Phil Gillian of the podcast on Fire Network. Stunning around an interview with uh, choreographer Tony, Tony Leon Shing Hung. And uh, yeah, that's all we got here besides the awesome poster and everything like that. And you can watch it in Cantonese and English. So this one I really enjoyed, and it was very much a change of pace from a lot of the other Shaw Brothers movies I've seen. Um, like I said, this one is pretty cool stuff. I would recommend checking it out for sure. Okay, the next one in the 88 uh, film Shaw Brothers line is The Shallon Mantis. And uh, this one was a little bit unique too. Um, so what we have here is basically this young man is... To save his father, he's supposed to kind of go into this uh, gang that he's against and infiltrate them. When he goes there, he ends up kind of like kind of starting to court the daughter of the the head honcho and everything like that. But he does eventually fall in love with her. They have a relationship. The grandpa is very, very um, suspicious of this man. So he basically sets forth, I will not kill him as long as he never leaves. Of course, the time comes when he does want to leave. Him and his wife want to leave and go back. But we know that it's, it's, he's up to something and everything like that. And, and here, here's where you're kind of wondering, like, where your loyalty lies at first. You know, you side with the daughter and then with her family because you think this guy might be somewhat of a traitor. Or, or and But the way the family reacts to everything is when you start to kind of change a little bit. Or, or you feel like it's less gray and more white and black here and everything like that and he's doing it for a good cause the the young man so well he thinks so at least so what happens is um to leave they must go through all these stages to fight the family all the three brothers well her um her mother and two brothers and all these other people and like an uncle so it gets super like elaborate where you have these different like rooms it turns out to like a video game with fighting all these people with different styles and emotional levels and all that kind of stuff and it's kind of very playful there's a lot of talkiness before this moment this is like kind of the climax of last 20 30 more like 30 minutes of the movie but there's a lot of kind of like relationship stuff going on in this one as well amongst the two which is fun um and there's some really like fun stuff with the uh teacher and stuff in this one yeah that's how he ends up teaching uh the granddaughter is he ends up like like kind of staying as a teacher and everything and getting in there and she's just like so bossy and picking everybody picking on everybody and no one knows he's actually a kung fu master at the same time but yeah this one like i said um it ends on a really dark note which is kind of surprising for this one at least it, it kind of like a twist at the very end but like the fighting stuff is really great and i i completely like heart wrenching at the end like you don't really expect like i said these shaw brothers movies a lot of them are not afraid to kill characters and main characters you really kind of grow fond of or you don't expect to die so like always expect the unexpected when it comes to the kill count or the who's going to die in the shaw brothers movies but uh yeah this one was really entertaining i really liked the setup i really liked the action at the end i liked the family dichotomy between everybody and all that stuff and you know of course like people helping out and all that kind of stuff but anyways uh the revenge is also great at the very end there's some great revenge here as far as the special features are concerned we have an audio commentary with asian cinema experts michael Yetter and arnie vimoda um i always say venoma audio commentary with asian cinema expert frank jin 
Complicated Families, David West on Shaolin Mantis, Uncle T and Chen, an interview with John Chen, and then we have the U.S. trailer, The Deadly Mantis. So they, they make kind of a joke about it in the commentary. They're like, well, I think it's one of the special features. They say Shaolin is really, it doesn't really have much to do with Shaolin because you think Shaolin monks, but a lot of the Shaw Brothers movies had like Shaolin and Shaolin temples and all that kind of stuff in the titles. So they kind of wanted that as a more popularity. So they included the Shaolin thing in here. So anyways, this one's really good. And it's got a, it's got a, a bunch of people in here that you recognize. I feel like he uh is this is the one where he fights somebody in the very beginning that had like a lot of name recognition or is that uh no that might have been last week see that's the only downfall on the shaw brothers movies to me is that i have a hard time telling them apart when i watch a lot of them back to back and there's been a lot of releases lately and i've been checking them all out and enjoying every single one of them like um and they all have like uh like the library music right the library music that was kind of like i don't want to say public domain but like everybody pulled from this library music so you'll hear a lot of cues from dawn of the dead which is where romero pulled library music and stuff like old library music cues tons of dawn of the dead music which i absolutely love hearing but it does kind of make me think like like because that score from dawn of the dead is so embedded to me that how much you know what i mean it's the first thing i come to so when i hear this like i imagine a lot of people that saw these first that will think of these before dawn of the dead which is kind of strange but anyways another great release i love their slip covers too they're really um got a nice presentation about them um and i'm not like a slip cover like psycho or anything like that if, when i when i if I get them and stuff like that or buy them, whatever, and they have a slipcover, I'm very happy, but I don't really go out of my way to, you know, buy them with slipcovers if they don't have them. So be it. You know what I mean? Uh, but anyways, I, I really impressed with their like releases so far. The, um, quality is very good with the cases. I'm very good. Um, the, the slip cases, the posters, everything is really kind of top notch. The, the cards in here anyways, just doing an all around great job so far. And, uh, I'm looking forward to more releases. I believe human lanterns comes out soon, which sounds like it's right up my alley. Like I've only seen a couple of the Shaw brothers horror movies, but they've been really wild. So I'm looking forward to human lanterns. Okay. The next one, uh, needs no introduction. This is the 4k of American Werewolf in London from arrow films, uh, directed by John Landis, uh, starring, uh, you know, Griffin Dunn, David Naughton, um, Jenny Agutter, some other people are in here. Rick Mile makes an appearance. Now, I covered um, the Blu-ray that Arrow put out, and it's fantastic. It's loaded with features. So if you want to hear more about those features, check that out, because this has the same features. Except, as far as the uh, technical stuff, this has, um, obviously, it's 4K, but it has HDR10 compatible. It is... Um, it has what well, yeah hdr10 that's kind of the thing what you really want on a lot of these releases so anyways if nobody's seen american wear in london i don't really have anything to say that you guys probably haven't heard already well but just you got to see this movie period anyways as far as the print looked it looked amazing. Like I, I really thought some of the stuff in the the wilderness, like the big mountains or the moors or whatever, looked fantastic. Like um, the scenes where the doctor drives back and goes to investigate the small town. Um, if you guys don't know the story, two Americans are you know in London vacationing and they go to this kind of secluded area, the moors, and they run into this bar called the Slaughtered Lamb. And what happens is they warn them, typical kind of folklore, old school, you know, uh, Long Chaney Wolfman movie that there's something in the moors, beware the moon. They kind of laugh it off and they go out there and then fairly quickly they are terrified. They are attacked by a werewolf. Uh, one is killed. One is cursed with uh, the mark of the beast, of course. Um, the way they play that stuff in the beginning of the movie is absolutely gold. And, and it, obviously Landis was a fan of the old classic Universal movies and, and the mythology and all that great stuff. And it's just done in a, perf a perfection, to be honest. Now, 
I mean, everybody said like that everything they could possibly say positive about the movie, and that, that's I have no negatives about *Everything Everywhere in London* as obviously one of the best transformation scenes ever with by Rick Baker. But the the thing that this movie, um, I'll get into the special features afterwards and the, the technical stuff a little bit more. But I'm kind of on a tirade here. But the the great thing about *American Werewolf in London* is there's no downtime for me. Everything is great. It's either like good character development, but mostly it's it's like good dialogue that is very funny, although realistic and scary shit. You know, it never really slows down. Uh, the incorporation of all the songs about the moon uh, are, are wonderful. Blue Moon, Bad Moon, Horizon. So all that stuff is, uh, you know, some people might think, well, that's a little bit on the nose, isn't it? But it's like, I don't know. It's just perfect in this movie. There's a love story behind it. It's set up. And and here's another thing I absolutely love about American Werewolf in London. A lot of the werewolf movies, um, they kind of shy away from the classic supernatural curse aspect, right? They won't go into that. He has to be killed by a loved one, the, the pentagram, all this kind of stuff. They, they shy away from that more, and I think this one kind of embraces it more. We don't have the hereditary thing from Curse of the Werewolf or something like that, or even, you know, I feel like Jack Nicholson's Wolf is less, you know, uh, supernatural and more, you know, scientific in, in kind of its approach, or, you know, I never really touches on that subject but this one it, it's i feel like it is you know kind of embedded in the supernatural because the way that uh david naughton sees his friend griffin dunn and he haunts him and everything like that which adds brilliant moments of comedy as well like it, it's just uh and um it's just very fun at the same time as being scary and, and and I know that's just the thing that everybody says. It's very hard to do. It really is very hard to be equally scary and equally funny. I think Return of the Dead is another one that does it very well. Usually they, they lean one way or the other. But this movie is funny in just the situation and David Naughton's reaction to his dead friends and the dialogue he has with people because naturally, you know, he's kind of a funny person. And even when situations are bleak or scary, people, a lot of them do not lose their humor. And I would say that this movie never loses its sense of humor, although it uh, has its horrific moments. So I, I think it's a wonderful film. I think that uh, when the uh, special effects and the murders start to happen, um, a couple of times they're always it always surprises me with the the absolute uh, level of chaos in the uh, the city. It reminds me of something like King Kong, how how crazy everything is, you know, that we finally see this this folklore creature from the uh, the boonies or whatever in the big city. It's just a wonderful thing. Um, it's definitely bringing those old classic curse stuff and the classic monsters into the modern era in the 80s so anyways i adore the movie obviously i think it's one of the best werewolf films ever made i think the acting's top notch i love the aspect that the doctor in here feels like something's off so he investigates himself instead of being an asshole or instead of being like die he has the realistic approach to the situation while being a good doctor and a good person and i love his performance it's it's not over the top it's so subtle and so natural and it's different it's a different performance than you would see in a lot of other movies um, and a lot of his dialogue is funny too. Um, tell him I'm dead. Tell him whatever. I just don't have him call here anymore. Um, I can survive the meeting. I survived a tour with Rommel, like against Rommel, obviously referencing because it's Britain and and uh, it's '81, so he's not he's not that old. he's old enough to be actually serving World War II, fight the Nazis in Africa, fight Rommel. So that's a, it's just like. A lot of brilliant small little things like that to also the touches of, you know, obviously making David Naughton's character um, Jewish and, and all that kind of stuff, too. And this is the only movie you'll ever see Nazi werewolves where it makes sense. I mean, maybe there's more movies than Nazi werewolves. I don't know how much it will make sense, but uh, yeah. 
But uh, anyways, it, it looks fantastic. It, it's a good looking movie. Um, uh, the city stuff is always great. I love seeing the city uh, movies from the 80s in 4K. Um, when they go through the subway, you can see all the posters on the wall in clear detail. Um, some of them you could see before, but now they look spectacular too. And you can see all that kind of stuff. Um and like I said, the Moors look fantastic in, in uh, 4K. Like, uh, you can see a lot of the details. Um, and, and this is the first time, like, opening credits, I noticed some of the times he puts the background in, like, out-of-focus stuff to set the mood. And that's, like, purposely done in the opening credits and stuff like that. But I don't know. There's just a lot of nice touches about this movie that are kind of unmatched in, in others. As far as the special features are concerned, like I said, I went over this before and talked about the features. But I'll, I'll run them down again. There's a lot, so uh, bear with me. But we have... Um, here we go. Audio commentary by Beware the Moon filmmaker Paul Davis. Audio commentary with uh, actors David Naughton and Griffin Dunn. I bet that's very funny. I didn't get a chance to listen to that one. Mark of the Beast, A Legacy of the Universal Werewolf, a feature-length documentary by filmmaker Daniel Griffin featuring interviews with Landis, Naughton, Dante, and more. This is a spectacular, uh, you know, um, featurette, or I wouldn't even call it featurette, it's feature-length, uh, about the, 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 um, the history of the Wolfman and werewolves and all that kind of stuff in mythology. That's a brilliant one. I suggest checking that out if you guys have not watched it. I loved it. American Filmmaker in London, an interview with John Landis in which he reflects on British cinema and his time working in Britain. I think he's a Jew, The Werewolf Secret, a video essay by filmmaker John Spira about how Landis' film explores Jewish identity. See, this has got everything. It touches on all, not all probably, but a lot of the interesting things about American Werewolf in London that make it different. The Werewolf's Call, Corden Hardy, director of The Hallow and The Nun, chats with writer Simon Ward about their for formative experiences with um, some of the original costumes and special effects artifacts from the film. Oh, sorry, experiences with with Landis's film. Sorry, <laughs> I'm old, so my eyes ain't no good no more. Where's the Wolf, a featurette in which special effects artists Dan Martin and Tim Laws of Prop Store look at the, some of the original costumes and special effect artifacts from the film. Beware the Moon, Paul Davis' acclaimed feature-length exploration of Landis' film, which boosts extensive cast and crew interviews, American Werewolf in London, and American Werewolf in... Um, Bob's Basement and Causing a Disturbance, uh, Piccadilly Revisited, two 2008 featurettes filmed by Paul Davis. Uh, tons more, too. All the old stuff looks like it's on here. Makeup artist Rick Baker on American Wear from London. Um, Casting of the Hand. This is like a lot of archival stuff. Not to mention, besides that, we have an American Wear from London booklet here. Um, so... I'm sure there's going to be a standard edition for a lot of people that already have the special edition and are looking just to get the 4K. I know that's what a lot of people are doing. Um, but it does. if you missed out on the, the special edition of the DVD or the Blu-ray, then there's a good chance that you might want to just upgrade and go right for the 4K. I mean, how could you regret buying American Werewolf in London on a 4K? Just a fantastic movie. Um, one of the best werewolf films ever made and one of the best horror films from the 80s, period. It's a great movie. It's a great release. Uh, check it out. I love it personally, and I'm sure most people do. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Okay, guys, get your pervert cards out because this one definitely is the pervert card movie of the week. This is a, a two-film collection from uh, Dark Side Releasing. And uh, they they release a lot of wild stuff. They had like Black Forest that came out a few years ago. Great film. And they release a lot of kind of strange Asian films as well. But this one is the Kimbaku Collection. And it's in two parts. I'm going to talk about them together. Uh, Flower and Moon. So uh, these are bizarre. Um, Kimbaku. Now, I wonder if they should put a definition of what it is on the back because it's essentially kind of the rope bondage like kind of stuff in Japan. It's uh, apparently very ancient and old, according to a character in this film. So the first one here is Flower. 
So essentially what happens in Flower is um, we have this uh, American document. This takes place in Japan. We have an American kind of tourist who's, uh, he moved, I think, in Japan is what he says. He's very interested in Japanese culture. Um, and the stuff he says is going to upset a lot of people. He has obviously these chauvinistic kind of views and everything. And he has a lot of negativity towards Western culture and civilization. And he's basically saying that Japanese women and women in general have grown kind of cold towards men and they're not as submissive as they should be. And due to this, um, men and women will no longer have sex or no longer have relationships. And especially in Japan, uh, the, the, the Japanese you know civilization will die because no one will have kids and no one will you know take care of the kids and no one will have sex and and all this kind of stuff so the only thing that can save it is Kimbaku so the plot of this one besides that kind of overarching kind of story there where we have the character in the stands talking about it is what happens is essentially um, this kind of old boss, this older man who's married to a younger woman catches her sleeping with one of his employees. They're in love and he basically is going to humiliate them. He takes them on stage where there's a crowd, including our, you know, American uh, now living in Japan. And he starts to kind of show everything. There's a character that he's like Kimbaku man. I don't know what his fucking name is. Essentially he's the equivalent to rate man. If you guys don't know who rate man is, I've reviewed the rate man one through four films rate man is essentially a japanese superhero in quotations that gets justice through rape so people hire him rate man to rape people that are are i don't you guys see where this is going kimbaku man is essentially the same he basically will take women on stage and perform these acts of you know these rope torture to kind of humiliate them to kind of show them what all these kind of things and they're supposed to like learn all these kind of weird things it's a very fucked up uh, way of thinking but apparently this american thinks it's gonna save japan and save the world Kimbaku will save the world. So essentially what we have here is we have a sex scene in the beginning amongst the young woman and uh, the the worker. And uh, then we have them being tortured on stage and everything like that. But the end reveal is absolutely insane because there's a change of heart and all this kind of stuff. Um, there's, of course, a rape on stage live for the audience and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, you kind of get what you, you expect. Kimbaku, man, though, doesn't always do what you, you want him to do. And he does what he thinks is right. So. So the second one here, it's Moon. Uh, this one is uh, a little bit more complicated, I would say. We have more flashbacks into the storyline. It's a little bit more of a, I guess I would say, intriguing story? That's what we'll do. Okay, so again, we have the American. Less focused on this time, but same character, same actor, same fucking shirt. So I wonder if these were shot together. I imagine, there's, is there a whole series of these movies? I don't know. I had to add these on Letterboxd myself to uh, to basically uh, log them. So they're not, they're not the most uh, uh, reviewed films, I guess I'll say, or or widely spread films. They're more of, you know, the kind of erotic kind of movies that people watch too, you know. Um, anyway, so uh, the second one follows the story of a woman who recently lost her husband and she believes the husband committed suicide due to a work uh, a work uh, boss who basically this other woman who picked on her picked on him and belittled him until he committed suicide. So essentially she saves her, takes her life insurance policy to Kimbaku Man, gives him it and says she's the cause of my husband's death i want her to be humiliated and tortured on stage when she gets there to watch uh there's other co-workers there and things do not seem you know on the up and up for her at least um and there's some more to the story that's kind of you know shown and and told and there's some reveals and i want to tell you this right now um the the 
the woman who hired Yukimbaku Man to torture this boss, the boss is not the only one who gets tortured here. And there's a bunch of other people with ulterior motives. And yeah, so essentially it gets a little complicated. You kind of see the story what happened to the husband. It's it's sad, of course, a little bit, but it's it's not all that you would think it is. Um there is some other people that come on stage and help uh, and stuff. And the first one, there is like these two women that are basically performing sex acts on the two characters and stuff like that. Um, it is Japan. So you will never see any pubic hair and that kind of stuff, but you see a lot of breasts, a lot of underwear, those kind of things. And the sex scenes are fairly graphic. Um, not as graphic as something you would see in a Hisayasu Sato or nearly as dirty as something you would see in a Sato movie, but they're there. Uh, yeah. So, uh, this is kind of a strange thing to cover. I really didn't know what I was getting into to but it has a it has a lady from uh may chan's daily life and somebody from rape zombie side story in there and i know the rape zombie series there's like five of those and the daily life movie is released by kino and that director is supposed to have some pretty wild films but yeah it's two films they run about an hour and nine minutes a piece they're not overly complicated they're very similar um with slight plots slight variations and stuff like that but if you're into uh people being tied up in rope fetish stuff then you might want to check this out if you're into kind of seeing them kind of justify it and saving the Japanese culture and what and and the future of humanity then uh, you might get a kind of a, a question mark out of that like what the fuck is going on here but uh, also kind of interesting and, and entertaining at the same time this is Kimbaku collection flower and moon it's up to you man but you're definitely going to need your pervert card to watch these because I don't think uh, you'll probably be arrested if you don't have it on hand Okay, next up is the Patreon pick. And did Jim, Jim Simon pick this one? I'm not 100% sure. But he picked the giant giant Gila monster from the late 50s. I've never seen this one. This is also comes with the Killer Shrews by the same director. He made a couple of these movies. These are really cheesy. I've seen part of Killer Shrews years back. Really cheesy 50s black and white sci-fi movies. Late 50s. Late 50s. So uh, the giant Gila monster. You guys remember the blob from 1958. How everybody in that small town, the woman Steve McQueen, was like very happy and very nice and even the mean cop was still kind of overly friendly and trustworthy and that kind of stuff so essentially the giant gila monster is that just kind of on a budget um we don't know where the giant gila monster is. i think they do kind of bring something with the plants i don't fucking know the movie's relatively short about an hour and like 15 minutes or so so you can be in and out very cheesy um the giant gila monster himself is just an actual gila monster and we did the force perspective with miniatures and all that kind of shit so uh we have the main character in here is like a part-time mechanic but he does all sorts of things he's friends with the police officer uh the chief of the 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 small town and the chief of the small town is kind of like a a actor who's in a bunch of like he's a smaller actor in a lot of these bigger films like he pops up in rear window and you look at his resume and you're like this guy's in everything real bravo rear window he's in so many movies but smaller roles this one he gets a chance to have like you know a bigger role in the smaller film you know think big fish small pond kind of deal going on here he's fine I, i like the the sheriff and everything like that and the main guy he's decent too you know we're hanging out with his friends his girls all those kind of things um some of his friends are a little patchy a little cheesy like hey man let's all go to the shindig you kind of exactly know what this is right like i said if you know the blob from 58 this is even cheesier even cheaper i do like the blob from 58 the blob is obviously you know kind of a, a classic right but that that mentality that small town kind of overly good natured uh, quality about it but uh so anyways a couple kids go missing is kind of the the start of the movie we know it's a giant gila monster they show him kind of knock the car off the road right away 
And so there's a lot of mystery about where to find out these kids are. A lot of talk, a lot of talking, a lot of the, the you know the police chief doing a lot of legwork going to people's house. Like, and you can see like the difference they have in a rich guy. His kid, it's gone, and he's just upset about it, mad about it, yelling at the police officer, threatening him. And uh, he has some power, some pull in this town. And you see like the kind of small farmers and everything. I know you're gonna do a great job and everything. It's like we go back to the 50s, even like even like the rich kind of people were assholes and everything like that. But even in these movies, they're gonna have a you know a turn in here and come all, come across decently. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's cheesy B-movie fun. Uh, the version I have, you can watch it. There's two discs. You can watch it in black and white color. I chose to watch it in original black and white. Uh, I, I try not to watch things that have been colorized too often, right? I remember watching the Night of the Living Dead colorized version, and it was just like straight, like pasty green zombies. Like, eh, and you're like, okay, okay, okay. But uh, so, um, yeah. This one, I had a good time with it. It's it's very easy to watch. It's very simple. Um, there's there's obviously like set up in the very beginning where it's like, don't drive that car with that nitroglycerin. You're like, you've been driving with nitroglycerin? I mean, uh, yeah. So it's like, it's, it's everything set up. Um, it's not overly gratuitous or anything in the in the special effect, the gore, the special effects. I mean, like I told you, it's a giant Gila monster. There's, of course, a lovable drunk who drives drunk all the time. Everybody's driving drunk in this movie. That guy's just kind of be like the same thing. Remember, like, old movies when people, like, there's another one coming up here, too, where, like, old guys were just perverts with, like, cameras and telescopes looking out the window at all these people that would pass by, like, trying to get, like, a glimpse at somebody's breast or something. Or, like, just drive home, like, drunk, and everybody's like, you're crazy, Gamma. Yeah, just go to the prison cell and sleep a couple days it's like back in the 80s and even the 80s i know this is the 50s but even the 80s that shit would go through even early 90s i remember that kind of stuff happening but anyways that it's a giant gila monster if it sounds like it's up your alley i think you could have some fun with it um i did pop in the killer shrews to refresh my memory a little bit and i seen the dogs and the shrews outfits and the opening of that movie fucking had me cracking up it's like there are shrews are very deadly and you're like shrews Shrews are pretty harmless. I mean, I've seen shrews. They've pretty much done absolutely nothing except scream and run away. But it's still funny. Anyways, uh, the giant Gila monster. Check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley. This is from like the Legends Pictures, which I think was a it was a um, Diamond or Genus uh, production. And they had a, a few of these that they had out and stuff like that. So yeah, I, this is a fun release. I know there is an HD version you can rent on Amazon and stuff like that. But I was fine with the DVD of it. Okay, guys, we're gonna hop into those 1994 reviews. Prison officials say Dahmer's head may have been bashed against a wall. They have last-minute appeals failed to stop the execution of America's most notorious mass murderer, John Wayne Gacy. Throughout, Chikatilo presented himself as a wretched victim of nature's indifference. Say the truth. The delusion of a disordered mind, a phantom, a spirit, a ghost. Look, he hasn't got any relatives, and the coma he's in is irreversible. Give me a signature and I'll pull the plug now! Fuck off!
Now, a handful of these are movies I actually covered on the channel before. Um, so I, I don't know how, how brief I'm going to be with them. I always say that, I'll be brief. And then it's like 10 minutes later. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I hate grass. But uh, so anyways, this one coming up is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, Part 4. Directed, this is the Screen Factory edition. It is directed by Kim Hinkle, who wrote the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Obviously, the first one's an amazing movie. I talked recently about the new TCM movie. And like I said, the sequels to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre all feel like fan films or weird direct sequels to the first one anyways. I don't know. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise is really weird, really bizarre. And like I, I love the first two. And I'm, I'm ranging what I like out of a lot of the other ones. Some I don't like at all. Um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, is um, was made early. It was made like a couple years before 94. And then they kind of recut it and everything. I think it had like a small release somewhere. And then it got recut and released later after Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger kind of became big stars. They're both in this movie, of course early roles for them um yeah, this is just a super bizarre film now kim hankel seems like he kind of embraced more of the comedic uh elements that were supposedly in the original texas chainsaw massacre um the the it takes place more in kind of like the swampy areas of texas you know originally when i was young i would always think texas it's dry but a lot of play texas is a huge fucking state there's a lot of going on in texas and there's a lot of swampy areas and it's funny that like part three and four seem to kind of be more of the swampy areas of texas and this one is definitely that the opening narration lets you know that uh the first one happened for sure then this there were minor incidences that See, don't seem to be that important. I don't know if that's a knock on part two and three or what the hell they're going with. Anyways, it is what it is. It's it, and the movie's plot and the reveal at the end would leave them to have possibly more of those actually happening, but maybe they're different families. This movie is 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 bizarre. I, I always wanted to like it. This is like a second watch for me, and I just never could bring myself to really like the film. I don't absolutely hate it like so many other people. It's just super fucking weird, and and not the good kind of weird. Like there is some charming, goofy, zany qualities about it but it's just I don't really know how to feel about the film because what we do is we recreate a lot of the great things from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre like the meat hook and the sledgehammer but they're just done poor more worse so like I it's kind of like I just would bring up Wes Craven's new nightmare which I don't dislike at all but Wes Craven had a chance to redo Nightmare on Elm Street and he recreates one of the deaths but he does it worse like you have a chance to recreate the death and it's just worse it's poorly it's it's not as well done as the 84 movie 10 years later so it's just like those deaths aren't as good in this one like that they recreate so um it's also like four pe four kids uh, uh kind of like having a car accident on prom night they drive through they get lost they end up getting stranded by you know the text it's a massacre house they run into all these weird zany characters that lead them to the house obviously they're all in cahoots there's essentially four major characters that is the villains you have leatherface who went full transvestite in this one um i, I don't know the the, the technical term for Leatherface because like I don't is Leatherface considered like trans or or back then they would always say transvestite and that kind of style but Leatherface is maybe just cross-dressing and this one Leatherface seems to be more of like a trans character than you know just like the the kind of character that would wear the different faces well Leatherface does have the different faces so they they went further into that and um there's actually some funny moments with Leatherface that I, I actually laughed out loud especially when they're at the dinner scene and she and Renee Zilweger kind of like has her breaking point and just says you shut the like she take care of a couple of the other ones she's like you shut up and sit the fuck down or something like that and he's like oh. like that kind of is funny but um the, the weird like tone of the movie is just 
all over the place. And while the first one, I'm a, I know I'm comparing it to the first one, and I will do that because this one is essentially trying to recreate the first one in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, it's almost just a remake. It doesn't really do anything different, and the stuff it does do different are just bizarre. Like, they're comedic moments and goofy moments. It's almost like a parody remake of the first one in a lot of ways, or just kind of like what Kim Hinkle would have wanted to do. I don't fucking know. Um, so, like... They, they just have these moments like, uh, well, the first one's dinner scene. There's a lot of screaming and sanity and you zoom in on Sally Hardison's eyes and it's just absolute horror. This one, we just have a lot of really annoying over the top screaming and arguing and they're probably trying to recreate that, but it comes across just kind of little too long for its own good. McConaughey is absolutely unhinged in here as Vilmer. Um, he has a lot of bizarre lines, uh, chewing up the scenery in ridiculous moments. Um, now his performance is worth watching. You got to see it just to see Matt McConaughey go full crazy, uh, full over the top insanity. There's a character that keeps has all these kind of random quotes, which is kind of a nice touch. I don't know how I feel about it as a whole. Um, and then of course we have a, a female character that kind of leads them there and everything, and she's over the top and just super bonkers as well. Yeah, everybody knows the ending of this movie gets into the whole weird Illuminati nonsense. Some people say that's just a crazy person saying it's Illuminati. Some people would agree that it is Illuminati. Anyways, it's just ex day ex machina and. I kind of hate that and 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 this kind of goofy ass movie too like that i don't know what i don't really know how to go about this movie like a lot of people love it i don't love it i don't hate it i just don't i i don't think i'll be revisiting it too often there's two different cuts of the movie on here the director's cut has a couple things in the beginning that kind of set up you know uh renee zellweger's character being molested by her stepfather and all that kind of shit and uh the theatrical cut the theatrical cut is in full hd and i think the director's cut is like standard def and everything like that so i watched the theatrical cut and then kind of put on the director's cut with uh, Kim Hinkle's commentary and and like it's just like I feel like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like the ultimate like it's so hard to live up to the first one and all the movies are just trying to like kind of be direct sequels of the first one and remake the first one in so many ways that when they do that it just is like eye rolling while a lot of the other franchises just felt naturally like a, a cash grabbing I guess I'll say like this Friday the 13th yes they were cash grabs but they just felt fun and and just they just went with it I don't know how to explain that I don't know I just would just stir this one. It's just, it's like the humor doesn't really land for me. It's, and that's a big part of it because movies, it's a comedy. I think it's a comedy and it's just not funny. So therefore, how do you sell a comedy that's not funny? to someone like it's subjective in that kind of humor and it just doesn't always work there's like i said a couple beats of comedy um and i don't really care for the family as a whole like they don't feel like they go together and and the whole i the whole reveal and stuff is just not great i do like kind of like some of the side characters that pop up like the old couple in the rv i think is very funny mr spottish mrs spottish i think that shit's funny um but it's just it's just a fucking weirdo mess movie, and you'll either love it or hate it. I know I'm coming right in the middle for it, because I can see some people's appreciation for it, and I don't absolutely hate my time with it. I do like how some of it looks, like the swamp, and, and, and like some of the set designs are cool and everything like that. But I think that truly, if you're ever going to try to make anything remotely close to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and not kind of recreate that style of filmmaking, it's just not going to pack the scary punch. And they didn't obviously go for the scary punch, so that's out. out. It's not going to be scary for anything and they go for the comedic punch and it's just not very funny to me so it's just like i'm sorry it just doesn't work as a whole for me as far as the special features are concerned the buzz is back in an interview with director of photography he uh levy isaacs he seemed very very cool um mentions that his big inspiration for his favorite film was lawrence of arabia favorite cinematographer did that marked for death in an interview with actor uh tyler Cohn. that was kind of interesting how he got the role just kind of hang around set and just kind of auditioned for it he does have a couple really funny lines when he locks one of the goons out 
out. He says, I had to use the bathroom anyways or some shit like that. If looks could kill, interview a special effects creator, J.M. Logan. And behind the scenes footage, we have theatrical cut and the director's cut, which includes a commentary. So if you like the movie, then I guess this release is is, is worth it for you. Um, I don't really care for it that much. I don't hate it. Um, just don't expect it to be ranked very high on my 1994 list. So yeah. Okay, so we have another rewatch here, and this is Funny Man from 1994, starring Christopher Lee. Uh, this is a super bizarre movie, and the first time I watched this, I did not care for it. I just didn't get it. It was really zany. It was really over the top. It just didn't land for me. So now I pop it in, and I start watching it. I know kind of what to expect. What we have here is this musician, this rich musician, basically is in this high-stakes card game. Christopher Lee's there. He's a kind of a strange fellow, and he uh, Christopher Lee puts his house uh, up on the table for, uh, you know, for a bargaining chip, and um, he bet raises him his house they go back and forth of course this magician wins it him and his family go back to this house along with the babysitter to kind of check it out and it's just a super bizarre house uh very weird and what has awoken in here is the funny man a, a very strange jester which he won the game a cards with what do you have a royal flush or something and his wild card was the was the joker so essentially there's this bizarre jester here that breaks the fourth wall and he's just a mad slasher in the in the style of Freddy Krueger where he creates these wild scenarios. At the same time, the uh, guy who got the house's brother is showing up and he is dropping something off for his brother. He picks up a few hitchhikers that are over the top and weird. One of which is just fucking Velma from Scooby-Doo. They call her Velma. She's dressed as Velma. So if it looks and smells like it, I guess it is. It's Velma in this weird movie. So um, the funny man picks all the characters off in these bizarre scenarios creating these weird situations. And they're absolutely over the top and funny like I actually caught myself loving the situations here like almost like a latter day Nightmare on Elm Street that got on my nerves a lot less you know like it's a it, like Freddy's Dead gets on my nerves but this one it kind of does these as well too so like one of the characters he literally goes through this giant like escapade of like taking this guy into like this nightclub and giving him a fake wig where music comes overcharging him and it's just these mild inconveniences and then like he basically has them confronted that he's like sleeping with his imaginary wife that he made up where the funny man plays all these characters in the bar and he has these crazy one-liners he'll look at the camera it's just bonkers and not to mention that the gore effects are absolutely fantastic in that great kind of over the top way this movie is the closest movie I would say to it is Stitches, which came out a few years back, probably closer to 10 now. I'm getting old. Everybody happy with the killer clown and he kills all the kids over the top away. It's a lot like Stitches. So, except it has more of like, he has more of a Freddy Krueger power where he can create these worlds for people to die in. But uh, the very ending is also satisfied, uh, very satisfying with the character kind of losing, somebody losing their mind. It's just a bonkers, weird, gory movie with over-the-top effects, like somebody gets shot in the back of the head and their brain flies out with the glasses on it. Um, it's just weird and fun and goofy and I really landed with me this time. This is the Subversive DVD special edition, remember the company's Subversive. Unfortunately, um, um, there's a blu-ray but it's, it seems to be out of print from screenbound from the uk i'm going to try to get a hold of that uh, it'd be great if they reprinted it maybe it's not all out of print um but i'd like to buy it for a decent price and or maybe possibly it would get released in the states i'm not sure who would own it maybe kino kino released funny man christopher lee's good in it they use a lot of the lines he has throughout the movie it seems like he did like one day of filming and then did like a lot of like dialogue looping and stuff to have these moments anyways it's just a fun weird movie with a bonkers uh character in funny man let's see funny man 2 let's see funny man 3 i mean i would have watched them now unfortunately the first time i watched this it just didn't land with me i didn't know maybe it was too weird and i didn't know what to expect but now i guess i'm i'm ready for funny man and i'd like more but 
It's not going to happen. But hey, hey, at least I came around on it. See, like I I know a lot of people swear by the second uh, time watch, and I do usually too, but you don't have all the time in the world. But when I landed on 94, I was like, funny, man. Some people really like it. Some hate it. I'm going to rewatch it. And I'm glad I did because I enjoyed it, and I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, now, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 4 fell about the same for it. So, hey, anyways, check out Funny Man. Good stuff. Okay, this next one here is Nigel the Psychopath by the same director of Butt Crack. Uh, I love Butt Crack. I watched that a couple years back. I, I, I thought it was the funniest thing ever. Uh, it was from Troma. It was well done. It was clever. It was silly. Um, this is their first film. And I think they made a shorter version of this before this one. Um, so this is called Nigel the Psychopath. And I'm not going to spend very much time on this. This is an SOV movie. It is dirt cheap. It is basically 15, 16-year-old kids running around the woods with fake wigs and throwing gore on each other. The plot is fairly impossible to follow, but it appears that there's a Nigel the Psychopath going around killing people. He killed somebody's brother or family relative, and there's a cop who's very upset. The cop is like 14 years old, but it's very comical in that aspect, right? And it's hard to like really truly hate the movie because it's just a bunch of young people and kids having a lot of fun making this gory splatter movie. But like, of course, the dialogue is impossible to hear. The plot is impossible to follow, except this basic, basic vengeance story that you get from it. But uh, yeah, it's just kind of goofy splatter of throwing blood on the wall and people screaming and overacting. Um, I, I really can't say anything truly negative about the movie, but um, I, I, like I said, go check out Butt Crack. It's a much better put together film with a much better put together story. It's years later, of course. So like, like I said, this is a uh, one that I ordered. Uh, this is a scream time films uh, version. They released a couple movies. I remember that putting out, but uh, yeah, so this one, I can't really give a hold hearted recommend or anything like that. But if it sounds like it's up your alley, it's a, super dirt cheap movie um like i, I just I, i'm never gonna watch this again like i'm sorry to say it's just um it's really silly and like you can't hear anything so i, I like I, I for me like i basically just heard like a lot of mumbling you can hear it but it's just not really something you really want to follow very well because it's just like i said a simple vengeance story of or somebody going around kind of the woods killing people think violent shit with less gore less offensive gore and more like a, a younger kind of free-spirited kind of goofy fun um you know it's it's a kid's it's like young teens directing a movie and it will mean a lot to certain people it'll mean nothing to most um like as far as you know like sentimentality and things like that so yeah okay the next one from 1994 is more of a thriller action film survival movie but uh, i saw that jp was watching it and so i was like screw it i'm gonna watch it too i know moods watched it again and i love this movie this is a rewatch this is kind of an hbo like classic i always remember it being on hbo and this is surviving the game this is like a, a deadliest you know game kind of movie where you know you have like somebody like that's picked up and hunted this time it's ice t he's a homeless guy and he's picked up by like this these kind of rich asshole hunters that come from all these different walks of life like you have you know like a businessman a doctor and some other people like that they're all kind of weirdos and everything like that so this is directed by ernest dickerson who directed demon knight and hearing him on podcast and things like that and talking like joe dante and stuff I, I believe he was on the movies that made me he was on a couple podcasts like horror podcasts and everything like that uh and this guy loves movies he adores movies. You can absolutely tell he loved movies. And like, if you look at like act uh, directors like Joe Dante and people like that, you can tell they love movies. They love old movies. They love character actors by their casting. So putting in surviving the game, it had been a long time since I watched it. Uh, Ice T 
is the star of this one. He's like a homeless guy as these big dreads. And the first first like 15 minutes of the movie, he just has this absolute horrible time in the last couple of days. You know, he loses a lot of things that mean a lot to him. Uh, Jeff Corey is in here. And uh, Jeff Corey is a classic character actor from stuff like Brute Force. I, I even believe he pops up. Does he pop up in freaking Devil's Reign? Uh, I think he is a cop in Devil's Reign. This guy is in so many movies and I didn't know it was him. Like I didn't remember it was, he was in this as that character. But he has this homeless friend and his interactions with him are really actually really well done and, and and heartfelt and everything like that i noticed that bob minor popped up in here who was like he was in a lot he did a lot of stunts in like jack hill movies he's in swinging cheerleaders as one of the crooked cops so i was like i was just spotting these people in the movie and i was like oh that's really fun he got a couple of these character actors just popping up in the movie just for a second and only and only a, a hardcore fan of like old films would put these guys in the movies like that. You know what I mean? And I love that. I love seeing that. He's got he's got like a western tinge to it too. Like you can kind of tell. Like the movie has a western tinge. So, anyways, one day Ice T. He's approached by Charles S. Dunton, who works at, like, kind of volunteers at, like, a missionary. And Charles S. Dunton's in a bunch of movies. He's in Alien 3. He was in a television program called The Rock. He's in Menace of Society. He basically tells him, hey, man, you want a job? I know you're not really cut out to be a survivalist and help us, but I, I want to help you out because you seem like a good guy. So he brings him to Rugger Howard, obviously played runner, a million movies. Okay, he's one of the best. And Rugger Howard is like, okay, well, you can come with us. And he brings him out to this isolated area, and he's supposed to kind of help these, these hunters throughout the weekend. And everything. The rest of the hunters are, are wonderful actors as well. We have Gary Busey, and uh, I, I he's just insane in this movie. He has one of my favorite monologues ever involving a bulldog. He has one of my favorite lines that I still say to this day, and, and, like I always love it, we're going bare hands. Uh, we're going bare hands is one of my favorite. If I ever get in a wrestling match with my friend, I'm always, I always say, we're going bare hands. You know, you're back when you screwed around Rough House and we're going bare hands. Um, he's amazing in this. John C. McKinley is in here from Scrubs and Platoon he he he's just an over the top in this and very very you know energetic and his asthma and he's like this like cowboy kind of guy f murray abraham who is in amadeus and of course uh scarface he plays salieri in uh, amadeus he's great in this this is like kind of this high powered business kind of like broker whatever the fuck asshole guy he has his kid and william McInera. i always mispronounce his name but he's in a lot of stuff he's the actor i'm least familiar with okay because he's in like he's the kind of a younger guy at the time so we have like these six guys um there and before long they tell ice t we're gonna hunt you run for your lives at first being polite with them and having this dinner where they're all trying to like get to meet him and everything but it's surviving the game ice t is tough he's got a haunted history and he's gonna fight back and he's gonna whoop some ass so essentially what happens is he he picks them off one by one and i just love that kind of stuff hard target i'm, I'm a sucker for that predator the predator picking off characters one by one it's just a great movie it's a, it's it's not a horror film it's more of a thriller, right? A thriller act. It's an action movie, really. Let's be honest. But I was like, screw it. I just needed a change of pace. I was tired of watching a lot of like kind of like cheap horror films. Even though I love cheap horror films, you can't watch five or six of the same kind of movie back to back without getting a little burnout. So I was like, fuck it, surviving the game. One that I always love watching on TV, and I'm just gonna pop in the DVD and check it out. I actually watched an eight. There is an HD print of this that I did check out instead. Um, wish it would get a, a Blu-ray stateside. I would be first in line to buy it along with stuff like No Escape and The Hitcher. I would love these, and Nightflyer, these movies that just, these HBO movies. This is actually has New Line on the side, but I could have swore it was HBO. But these movies like this, I would just love to get these these releases here. A lot of stuff that doesn't have Blu-ray um, that I'm talking about this week. Um, but anyways, Surviving the Game, 
fantastic movie, a lot of wonderful lines, and there's this great relationship between Charles S. Dutton and Rugger Howard in there that I never really noticed until this time around when Rugger Howard says, you know, I like, he's like, I don't read the newspaper anymore. It's just a reflection of the ugly side of society. I like beautiful things. And he picks up this, like, case va- uh, vampire <laughs> butterfly. <laughs> it's clear. And then later he, like, shows it, he looks at the table and looks at Charles S. Dutton through the butterfly smiling at him. And they have, like, these weird moments where they'll, like, put mints in each other's mouths and shit. And I'm like, that is strange because all these other guys are married and, like, and, like, and then those two. And it's just, like, um, it's just, like, a nice little touch in the movie of those two in there. Uh, Dutton's great. Everybody, all the bad guys are great in this. They're really intense and really creepy. And, and I love, like, this kind of story of them being picked off. Like, if you want to win me over in a movie, give me a great monster crew. Give me a great bad guy crew like Dark Man or RoboCop or even Hologram Man and if you put some character actors in your bad guy group and make them over the top or, or just give them something to work with and like I said that, that line that, that Gary Busey gives or that, that speech he gives about the bulldog he's like that's what I call my birthmark and he's got it on his oh man just great shit right there great writing Ernest Dickinson man he, he's a good director like I, I've only, I know he's a cinematographer too, right? I know he did a lot of bigger films as the DP and stuff, and he's just a talented filmmaker. I love his stuff, and Demon Knight's great too, filled with character actors that I love, and like putting Dick Miller in that movie was just, just, just great. So, anyways, uh, uh, surviving the game, love it, love this movie. I love this movie. It's good stuff. Okay, the next one up is, I think, a TV movie. I keep doing this, like, uh, from 1994. I'd be like, is this a TV movie? It sure feels like a TV movie, and it's Relative Fear. Okay, so this uh, has a a nice little decent supporting cast, including James Brolin and M. Emmett Walsh, who I really like. Um, I feel like I'm missing somebody. I feel like there's another semi-big name in this one. Oh, um, Denise Crosby is also in this from Pet Cemetery and um, Miracle Mile. Good actress. Um, so yeah, uh, this one is kind of a killer kids movie, or a, in the style of a killer kids movie, and it, it follows the story of like you kind of right off the bat, uh, like uh, the main character. She just had her kid, and she's looking at her kid. She's like, "Who do you look like?" And also at the same time, like there's a mentally um, kind of criminally insane person in the hospital. They give birth to a kid, and. You're like, oh, okay, their kids got switched. So basically, um, we kind of fast forward four years later, and the kid has grown up, and they have like autism. They don't talk very much. They don't talk at all, actually. So they're they're very quiet. They start to be obsessed with the criminal station, which is really funny, kind of the. <laughs> He's ridiculous kind of uh, criminal like reenactment shows where it's just like a bunch of black and white, almost like film noir gangster style. People just getting shot laying there and the kid keeps watching them, drawing pictures of them. You're like, this kid's a little iffy. So, of course, accidents start to happen around the house. Ooh, yeah. At first, the childhood neighbor, like the childhood friend of the kid, basically gets piano lessons from the mom, shows up. And... He ends up just being a jerk to the kid, and then he ends up bringing a gun. A tragic accident happens. James Brolin is a police officer who starts to notice the pattern of accidents and starts to get involved, and he, he has obviously a hunch. Uh, James Brolin's a great actor. Father of Josh Brolin, of course. James Brolin's in, like, The Car and Amityville Horror. Um, he, he looks like he, he's a really great look at him. He's a, he looks like a cop, you know, the mustache and the hat and everything like that. Um, and there's these weird side points where, like, him and his partner will just be, like, talking and he's eating a jelly donut and it's falling on the newspaper. It's like just this weird added comedy layer or something like that. I, I do enjoy that kind of stuff, though. But M. Emmett Walsh plays the grandfather, and he's starting to get senile. And here's where I was talking about those 1994 movies where it's like in the 90s even, like, driving home drunk. Well, I was talking about, uh, like, 50s movies. People just always constantly being drunk and everything like that. So, like, you get these kind of, these things... um 
of people just doing like uh, that stuff and like all the way up to the 90s of like taking pictures of naked girls across the street or like these 50s style movies of people just being drunk all the time or everything like drunk driving and like like <laughs> taking pictures of girls and like their windows and shit it was just like a thing in movies until like 2000 and it's still sometimes but it's like it's so much more darker toned when they show it now but back in the day it was just in everything <laughs> like it's just kind of weird but it's in this one as well and mm at walsh he um doesn't really trust the kid he he has obviously some hatred towards him and he's like getting senile so he's starting to point the finger at the kid like of course like i said all these accidents are happening and and the father is like kind of like a, a science type and and like what Whatever. So like the, the the parents are obviously having some struggles and then there's a big reveal. And I thought the reveal was pretty cool because I wasn't really expecting that. Um, but you kind of have to have that or it's just very basic at the same time. There is a handful of killer kids movies that came out this year, including the childhood friend or a child's play. Sorry, a child childhood friend's a different one, but a child's play, which is the Mexican horror film. And then we also had what on born Two, And I know him for the paper boy. So it was kind of uh there's a lot of these killer kids movies in the nineties. Anyways, I enjoyed this one. The kill the kid is pretty, pretty creepy because all he to just stare um and the supporting cast is solid uh denise crosby's all right uh james brolin's always good M. Emmett walsh is still great and he was playing an old grandfather who was dying in 1994 and the motherfucker is still alive i think he popped up in one of the coen's brothers movies most recently was it or was it a coen brother no he was in uh wasn't he in um the one with daniel craig uh, with the, the mystery one i can't think it was very fun i i'm just getting old like and senile at this point myself uh my shelf life i don't think it's very long to be honest but um what 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 the fuck is that movie uh it was a big movie uh daniel craig um jamie lee curtis michael shannon knife's knife's out knife's out there we go to come to me eventually he was in that for a little brief moment not not uh coen's brother movies but still anyways relative fear it's it's fairly solid i would recommend checking it out if it sounds like it's up your alley um you could do a lot worse um yeah and the last one from 1994 i'll be brief with it and uh, i know you're saying dave why is that sealed because i have the crazy weird edition on the back the gore edition that i don't think i can show um i'll show you the back of it but this is aftermath by nacho Serda. um yeah from honored films they have a gore cover which is pretty intense if you guys have ever seen it yeah this is a movie i remember when it like i saw it very young um very strange story this one i used to exchange tapes when i was like 12 or 13 like recorded kind of tapes online and uh the special effects artist marcus cook and me used to exchange tapes when we were real young and he was a little bit older than me he sent me fucking aftermath on a, on a recorded VHS. So like technically that shit's funny. He, he sent a 12 year old, 13 year old Dave aftermath. And of course I watched it and yeah, it, I mean, I remember being kind of amazed by it to be honest. Um, this movie also was featured in the Belly of the Beast documentary along with Jim Van Beber's uh, Manson Family Murders and Richard Stanley's uh, Dust Devil and some other films. And that's a great documentary. So that's this one always stuck with me. And Nacho Serda, as a director, he, he stuck with me because of that, like remembering him and remembering the name of this film. And he had a, such a wonderful quote in that Belly of the Beast when he saw like the line of people outside. Oh, they're animals. They're animals. And stuff, being very scared of the, the critical response he was going to get for Aftermath. And, and he sure got it. Like, I remember people badgering him, why the hell would you make this movie? If you guys don't know what Aftermath is about, essentially, it's it's kind of an extreme staple. A lot of people know about it. It's about an embalmer who decides to, you know, take advantage of a corpse. It's about a 30-minute, I don't know how long it is. I, what, how long does this Aftermath run? Together, all three of the shorts on here run 70 minutes, and I think one's 30. So this one's about 25, 30-minute short movie. 
where we have a, 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 a basically an autopsy at first, somebody being embalmed, not autopsy, yeah, being embalmed and everything taken apart, not autopsy. And then we kind of have this character kind of see this woman and she's, she's obviously, I mean, <laughs> it's not attractive, it's a corpse, but he goes through and he starts to, you know, uh, use his scalpel down below. And then eventually he has sex with the corpse in graphic detail. It's a, it's a fairly nasty movie. They use great sound design. The sound design is really kind of what drives this movie forward for me. I mean, I, the 5.1 sound design where you hear all the squishy sounds behind you and the scalpel and the, the classical music coming through while this happens. It's very well shot. Um, and there's not much dialogue spoken in the movie, if any, um, it's a really well-made uh, movie about somebody screwing a corpse. Um, and I, I think it's kind of just saying, you know, even in death it, life, uh, you know, what happens to you can be scary. And it is, and it is. Sometimes the corpses look, the, the, the fake corpses look really well done. And sometimes they look a little chintzy, a little rubbery, a little plasticky, that kind of stuff. But you can expect that. Anyways, the gore is really well done. The cinematography is well done. The sound design is well done. Um, the acting, I mean, like it has all the, the staples of good filmmaking. Just telling you a really grotesque, disgusting story that most people will shy away from. Um, on the disc also includes awakening and genesis uh, so and also commentaries by the director making of we have a york buckaret not your sarah interview which should be interesting york buckaret does lots of great films like necromantic one and two shram dirt skin uh, lots of stuff so um, aftermath was one of the shorts that i had to watch for 1994 like I, I haven't watched it in years and i was like i just can't not watch this one again like along with the van beber shorts because there's so there's these shorts that have last lo- left a lasting impression on me and i think a lot of other people so i wanted to talk about them anyways this disc has been out of print for a very long time maybe maybe there could be a blu-ray release of nacho serta's movies uh, uh from on earth i think that it would probably sell maybe it would have to be too extreme for the mainstream release or something like that i don't know i i don't know uh just yet but anyways that is the end of 1994 so yeah okay we're here for blind spot and this is jeremy's pick well tell, tell the people what you picked jeremy we picked. Well, I didn't pick hold on, me hold to on. this. Uh, so you know, there's a theme that we were working on. So we watched the movie about the the gay classmates. Then we watched the movie about the lesbian classmates with tuberculosis. Now we're watching the straight couple with tuberculosis. So you know, there's been like a theme. There's not been the... a theme. <laughs> Can you stop mumbling over there. So we're watching. We watched um, Moulin Rouge. Kitchy, kitchy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, something, something. Creole lady marmalade. <laughs> some 2001, directed by some guy who did some other stuff that I don't give a shit about. He did Australia, which I, I have not seen, but I looked at Letterboxd. I remember seeing it. It's like a big movie. And the reviews, like, we're just very angry at the top of Letterboxd. But that's like 90% of reviews anyways. Like, you go to the best movie you ever made, and people are like, meh, one star. You're like, Godfather, one star, meh, what? Maybe. Great review. No. But anyways, Moulin Rouge. So the cast in this one includes it's uh, Nicole Kidman, who I really like, Ian McGregor, who I've always enjoyed, mm-hmm. um, Jim Broadbent, who I love, Jim Class Hero. <laughs> what? I love him. Yeah. Yes. Um, Jim Broadbent is amazing. Um, and then we also have John Leguizamo, who I like, mm-hmm. and um, the Richard whatever the fuck guy's name is from van helsing who i've never liked and that's the only movie i've seen him in i would give him the award for the worst performance of dracula of all time um so here we go this is a musical uh it's very stylized in the style of movies made in 2001 
like the weird editing, the technical stuff. They have a lot of this CGI kind of town village or whatever, which Mm -hmm. was very influential around this time. A lot of movies had that kind of thing going on. I feel like Sin City, although it was done differently in Sin City. Sin City was 2005, 2004. I don't remember. I remember really liking Sin City. I don't know if it holds up anymore. That would be one that would be iffy for me, I think. Holding up. Yeah. I remember really liking it. I remember it. really liking it. So this one, it started off, and I, I obviously was not very happy with it. No, uh, he's it, never happy. It was super overly, like, cliche, like all the characters, like to the fact where Ian McGregor's writing on a typewriter, and he's, like, dressed in suspenders <laughs> with, like, a wife beat, a stained wife beater. I'm just like, and he's like, I never knew that my love was going to die. <laughs> like, I turned off that one movie that was, like, too on the nose. What was that fucking one that everybody loved with um, Tom, ha- uh, Tom Holland in it? And uh, the Sarsgaard brother that was on Netflix. Oh, it was that southern one. Yeah, and it was like, Mama got a cancer, couldn't cut out Sada. And I was just like, (laughs) I literally said that two seconds before, like five minutes before they said, I was like, Mama got a cancer. And then they're like, Mama got a cancer. I was like, fuck off. (laughs) I'm sorry. So this one, it it rubbed me that way a lot in a lot of it. Uh, But it does have tons of songs in here. Right. And they're all like redos and they mix them all. A lot of the songs, even if you like or dislike them, it doesn't matter. They're very catchy, so you'll catch yourself getting like an emotional connection to some of them. And that, like, I'm a sucker for like when they like four strings or four chords. Mm-hmm. With that, I love that. Or like any time they do like the Weird Al like polkas where they mix twenty songs. So I mean, it's not comparable to those, but it, it somewhat has like somewhat of the same feeling. Uh, the, the, uh, this is ahead. this is considered a jukebox musical where okay. you know they take you know popular songs and they kind of just you know use them in in the sense that like a musical would use them so you know the characters are singing um they use like i will always love you um how i don't even know all the songs because they only use like maybe 20 or 30 seconds each smells like team spirit yeah team spirit um the story is like incredibly melodramatic i mean that's what it thrives on And, and you know that's that's what it's going for um you know, it's it's very over the top. It does have like like the very quick cuts, you know, just like like the utter chaos. But like, I don't think that it's necessarily bad. It's just not something that like I've grown accustomed to in the twenty some odd years yeah. since I've seen movies that I, I are don't like the style like of editing. Really, you know that. Right, right. I, um, I love Jim Broadbent, but I think he's just okay in it, and I don't think he's that great. Honestly. I I love Jim Broadbent in it, but. He plays a cool character type that I'm kind of fond of. Um, the story itself is um, basically so. You know when you're watching like Caligula or The Devils or like Baron Munchausen, they always, all great movies. All great so I movies. don't know why you're referencing those. Well, listen to me, fucker. Um, you know they always have like like those scenes in the movie where like they have to watch like a play and and like the play scenes are always done really well for like the cardboard cutouts and things like that. Um, this movie is kind of doing the same thing, and that's kind of what it looks like. It kind of looks like all the play scenes and all those movies that you should be watching, but instead we're watching Moulin Rouge. Um, but you know, Moulin Rouge is a play about making a play, and. I kind of want to watch the play that they're making, but the play that they're making is the plot of the movie. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It reflects yeah. it. Um, I will give it up for a lot of the sets are really awesome. Right. Costume design is really cool. Like, uh, mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman's place where she lives is really awesome. I like that. Um, 
there's like cool things about it. Like, and I say, I don't think Nicole Kidman, Jim Broadbent, or Ian McGregor are poor actors at all. Mm-hmm. But um, it is really hard for me to watch a lot of musicals. Like, I'm I dig the horror musicals. I love them. Like Rocky Horror, Shock Treatment, Phantom of Paradise. I eat that shit up. I I like stuff that incorporates a lot of singing in it. Like A Star mm-hmm. Is Born. I really liked the um one with uh Bradley Cooper, which I didn't see the older ones. <clears throat> I'm sure I had no problem with that. I love Wizard of Oz. So yeah. like Willy Wonka. I love these movies. These are classic movies to me, and I watch any time. But certain certain stories or, or certain time periods of movies, like I just it just rubs me the wrong way. Like it's like I can't get out of my teenage hateful years of right. I see him so like like repo the genetic opera, I fucking can't stand it. Like it makes me cringe. It's embarrassing. It's too too angsty. I'm just like Ugh. Well, the, you know, this is the movie I think that started those two thousands like just over the top musicals. Um you know, like before that, like I think that musicals were pretty straight faced. Um, you know, like Rocky Horror Picture Show isn't doing it's Rocky Horror Picture Show. You've seen Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's not shot like Milan Rouge. Uh, neither is Shock Treatment. Neither is Sound of Music. Neither, none of them are shot like this. Um, it also, I think, introduces like like a certain aesthetic that like continued in movies in Hollywood for like yeah. the next ten years um, with with the fast cuts. But you know, you so you get Moulin Rouge, and all of a sudden you got um, Chicago, you got Repo, you got you know Joel Schumacher's Fan of the Opera. Turn um, that off too. Yeah, Les Mis, the Cats. You know, it continues to this day. It's like everybody looked at Moulin Rouge, and it's like this is what we need to make every musical into. I think I liked uh, Les Mis better than this. I well, you know, I didn't, but uh, but <laughs> Les Mis had. One scene that was better than anything in Mulan, right? And it was Anne Hathaway singing um, um, "I Dreamed a Dream" and crying, and that was just powerful. And I like that play. This I don't. I didn't know where the source material came from. I don't. I have no idea. Well, it's kind of like, um, you know, it's very similar to Rent in the sense that, like, it's almost like a retelling of. Uh, but what? Wait, uh, wait, uh, wait. There's an old opera called La, Is it La Boheme? When you said rent, I immediately went to Homer, who's like rent, stop, or clop, or some other <laughs> piece of crap. <clears throat> I, I I'm not a big fan of rent, but um, but rent is based off an old opera. So is this one? I think the the same opera. You know, it's like oh, it's the Bohemians and their pieces of shit, and they want to live freely. Um, but they need people with money in order to live freely. So they're and old hippies. Art. I they're mean, the old and, version of hippies. And, and and that's I think the problem, like hippies. plot wise, with this and and again with Rent is yeah, like you're supposed to root for you know like like love and freedom and you know all that stuff. But it's like, but we need we we need the money from the rich evil guy to like it's express the, these ideas it's the funniest thing like so. ever where it's like and i'm not even picking anything like here but the like capitalism's terrible R- right. please rich capitalists give me your money so i can do my art no, no, that's that's exact, right. that's exactly what this uh, is that's just life in a lot of ways like we don't want this system to be like this but since we're in this system right we can't change the system we're gonna try to benefit from the system again <laughs> Making the system part like like a genuine thing. It's just I don't know. I, it's it's the snake eating its tail. Yeah. Um, that's I, I, the struggle of an artist, right? Oh, that that is. Um, you know, and that's I think the main thing. What's going on here? Obviously, there's like the melodramatic love story, and that's a little bit on the, the side. Um, 
There is some comedic stuff. And I, I will say that the Richard guy, whoever he is, he's not as bad as he was in Van Helsing. He wasn't horrible and, and that I thought he was. He wasn't as bad as I thought he was going to be. He was okay. He yeah. was just overacting. He's like if Gary Oldman right. wasn't about 25% of the actor he was. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think everybody does fine acting in this. Um, I, you can tell that like Luigiamo and Robin are definitely having fun. Can you understand a word Luigiamo says in this movie? That's why we watched it with subtitles. I, I still he was just like, <laughs> <laughs> he's so like running he's around also talking playing like a, a rat. small person, which is like yeah weird. But it's it's, it's not noticeable until he's like next to somebody, and it's like how can we never see his knees? <laughs> it's a silly movie, right? It's it's silly. It's fun. The costumes are great. Um, I didn't laugh at any of the comedy. I don't think I laughed once, did I? I, I, I chuckled a few times, but probably only because I knew the song that was about to play. Um, it, I think I more or less just only laughed at Broadbent. But I have a soft spot for Jim Broadbent. He's always been fun. Yeah. And, I'll, I, I'll bury you alive. And right. Shit on, shit on your grave. grave. Um, I can't remember his lines from Brazil because it's been so long since I, I've seen I, I don't think he has any lines in Brazil. I think he's just like a hairdresser. <laughs> the worst hairdresser you could ever hire because Jim Broadbent has no fucking hair. And he has like two pieces of hair and it's all like curled <laughs> up. And he's like, mm. He reminds me of my grandpa if he was like flamboyant and crazy. He, 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 he's just a fun guy, I think. Every time I see him, I, I get a little, you know, Nicole Kidman is sweet um, I, i'm nicole kidman is actually an excellent actress and she's in a right. lot of great movies like the others or destroyer or wasn't she in that crazy movie with um colin farrell uh killing of a sacred deer i think she was in was that she? as well i she just pops up in a lot of movies where she impresses me her and like who's the uh, other actress um geez the one from um holland drive that i was just like oh this actress is amazing like Jeez, I can't believe I forgot her. Like she's still, she's also in King Kong. Naomi Watts. Oh, yeah, Naomi she's Watts. Fucking she's in Black too. Swan. Yeah, I mean, you know, she, I, I she... Always, isn't she the main? Not the main girl in Black Swan, but isn't she? Um, I'm pretty sure she's not. Who's in Black Swan? I don't remember. Now I don't remember who's Black Swan. I mean, she would be too old to play that role, wouldn't she? No, King Kong came out like. No, five... Natalie Portman is the lead in Black Swan, and then the other one is from. Oh, they're um, all the same. The one f- is the lady from that 70s show. Are you talking about the older woman? No, no, I was talking to Natalie Portman. I just confused. What is your problem? I confused Naomi Watson and Natalie Portman. I confused that. Everybody knows. Get out. Your your camera pointing to the opposite side of the room isn't even... Or your finger. It's not on They camera. don't know where the door is. Um, <laughs> this room has no doors. It has no windows. This room is a fucking hellscape. I this hate This room is a tomb. Um, it, it, and with an epitaph on it, which ain't nobody gonna bother to read. <laughs> Great movie. Um, Day no, of so, the Dead, of course, not yeah, this. Yeah. I think that this was a fine movie. It, you know, it's definitely an important movie. Um, it, like I said, it pretty much delineated what was going to happen for the next 10 to 20 years yeah in a lot of ways but what did it cause it (laughs) or was it just you know i can't think of anything that came before it at least that 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 struck you know into like the popular if i was born 10 years later or earlier would i feel the same way about this kind of filming technique maybe 
you see what I mean? Because like, right. even when we did the retro year of 2005, I had a terrible time because like it has a lot of good movies from the top. Mm-hmm. But then when I get towards like the middle and the bottom, like I just wanted to puke. I hated how everything looked. I hated how it was edited. I hated the music. I just fucking hated everything. Right. And I like stuff from those years. It's just very like underground or very foreign. But the American films from that time, I just fucking can't stand. Like, there's some, of course, there's exceptions to every rule, but so many right. American movies from like the early 2000s, like from 98 to like, 97 to like 2006 which is like fuck i hate everything right i I would say that like as far as musicals goes i mean this is couldn't even be anything closely considered to good um and i'm not even a musical hater like i've enjoyed every musical we've covered except this one um you know i i do like musicals but i mean it's it's not recce horror it's not shock treatment it's not even phantom of the paradise and you know i I, that's a very middling movie to me what carburetors man <laughs> that's what life's all about <clears throat> phantom of the paradise it, it i think it starts off fantastically and then the direction but it ends up going and it's like why is it going in this direction like i i want more what's her name and less what's his name um i i am just chock full of information today aren't you're I? a goddamn expert <laughs> let me tell you uh somebody get mad right there somebody got mad because i Put said more that. than one guy in it and uh you know cut the everything um <laughs> i basically made fun of myself today i was just like see this one's gonna be brief and then i was like 10 minutes later i ain't grass <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah that's just how i am like right, I, just my um, um, I give this five out of ten i don't think it's absolutely horrible or anything there's some well done production designs and and but uh, I don't really like it. I would give it maybe a 4 out of 10. 4 out of 10. I would give it a 4 out of 10. I think... I don't know... You hate it more than me? No, I mean 4 out of 5. I'm sorry, not a 5 out of... You know what I meant. Yeah, my points are out of 5. Um, So I don't know if what we watch... And I think that this is what brings my score down. Not that 4 is a poor score. But like... The music wasn't, I don't think, mixed very well. It like, was sloppy, like the editing. And, like, like there were tracks where they were kind of, like, competing with each other, but I don't know if that was because of, like, us watching it on Hulu, if it was just how that file was, it. or if that's how this, you know, sounded when it came out. Because a lot of the stuff, I think, sounded very weak. And then when you listen to the soundtrack, you're like, well, it didn't sound like this. And I'm like, well... Yeah, maybe it didn't. That's like looking uh, at someone from a photo ten years ago. It's like, you don't use me this fat, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, the, um, you know, the the one song, uh, Elephant Love Medley. What's it called? Elephant Love Medley. What the fuck is that? <laughs> well, it's the love song they sing in the elephant room, and it's the medley of like five or six different songs. I think they got the Beatles, they got David Bowie. Anyways, it made me cry oh. because it played David Bowie. Oh and, yeah, it's an elephant room. Yeah, yeah, because we'll meet you in the elephant Well, they room. did Whitney Houston, too. They did Whitney Houston in there. Um, you know, it, I thought that it, it, it was all right. It was just... So it was two hours and ten minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, it was only, yeah two hours, ten minutes. I think it did kind of go a bit long in the end. You know, like when they reveal that she has, like, TB, and then, you know, she's still singing and kissing everybody on the stage and shit. You're like, uh, bro, that's not really how that works. Don't do that. I remember, <laughs> I think it was a deleted scene at Tombstone where Doc Holliday is TB and his uh, girlfriend, Kate, she, like, is kissing him, but then, like, you see her go to the side, she has these fucking lip protectors on, she right. takes them off because, <laughs> yeah, tuberculosis. Fucking contagious. Right. And, then, you know, here they are just all in this cramped little, you know, 
corner of the fucking All these stage. bohemian. All these bohemians, you know, spreading their HIV. I mean tuberculosis. Come on. <laughs> that, that's literally the plot of Rent. Um, same movie. Same movie based off uh, old opera um, in which instead of AIDS, they had TB. Um, yeah, so you're kind of like you're watching and it's like, okay, I know she has TB. I know she's going to die because they said that she's going to die at the very beginning of the thing. She died? Yeah, she... I'm just fucking... Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but that's the whole thing. Like, even when they're explaining the plot to the to the Duke of the play they're going to make, and he's like, well, shouldn't someone die? And we're like, nah. And then it's like, yeah. Then they just... Somebody does die. Somebody does die. You know, that's how they resolve the love story. And I did like the, the Duke's bodyguard, even though he didn't get... Oh, the Duke's much. bodyguard actually had some moments at the end where he was right. really fun. And, like, we were like, oh, we were kind of disappointed that they didn't use him because he wasn't... Like, he didn't have any, like, moments that made him stand out until the very end. And then I was like, oh, this guy's really funny. Right. And then, yeah. you know, we're having fun. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Like, he, I think my thing is, if you've seen this before, cool. If you haven't seen it, don't bother, but... Why not? Just listen to the soundtrack. I think you'll get more enjoyment out of the soundtrack than actually watching the movie. Because, you know, you do know at least a quarter of the songs already, so you might enjoy it. And you can pretty much tell what's going on just by listening to it. So I'm going to pick... I'm going to do something next week that's going to put my uh, health in jeopardy. Oh! Before we get into that, um, I did actually write down five titles me to pick from so the next time i have to pick i don't understand. i'm not just standing looking like a jackass and say something like people the genetic opera oh we're not doing that we're not i'm not doing that movie i swear to god you swear is it shining we're doing the shining come on Jerry. you literally made me watch two ridiculous movies in a row and you won't even watch a movie considered the greatest horror film ever it's under two hours actually it's not it's two hours and 20 minutes two so it's a longer than moulin rouge better though is it going to be better? Yes. You are so angry. Okay. Unsubscribe to my channel if you think Moulin Rouge is better than The Shining. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to alienate anyone, but that's exactly what I'm doing right now. So the Sword of Damocles has fallen. We're going to watch The Shining. And, you know. You, you. This disaster I, is listen, yours. Listen, listen. You started it. You gave me Moulin Rouge. I didn't start it. You gave me. You drew first blood. You gave me Red Dress to Kill or whatever. I gave you Red to Kill. It's like an hour and 25 minutes. It's great. It's a hilarious comedy about a rapist. <laughs> right. Right. You must throw in out of 94 titles for me to watch. I like that movie. <laughs> All right, guys, tell me this. Here, here's what I'm asking you, even though it's not the question. Red to Kill or Moulin Rouge? Your choice. It's Moulin Rouge. Red to Kill. Red to Kill. The only thing holding Red to Kill back is it doesn't have Anthony Wong. Otherwise, it's a perfect movie. <laughs> I did like the killer in Red to Kill. I thought he was fun. He's um, fun. He was fun. <laughs> he you was know. in a onesie at the end. But but yeah. But the the rest was a little bit uh, exploitative. Like, yeah, how am I supposed to feel watching this? I feel incredibly fucking gross. That's how I felt watching Moulin Rouge. And it was way more insulting in Moulin Rouge for John Leguizamo to play a small person than to exploit mentally handicapped people. Right, because that's exactly the problem with Moulin Rouge. <laughs> all right, we're done. All right, bye. All right, guys, let's get into these questions, comments, concerns, all that good stuff. Last week, I basically asked you guys uh, any horror franchises that you have an unhealthy fan ownership of. Now, fan ownership, like an unhealthy one would be like, 
you feel like an elitist on certain things or you love things blindly, you get mad, you know, that kind of thing. You get angry and stuff at people for things. I said myself personally, maybe the first three dead films I might have a fan ownership of that is unhealthy. So um, Stephen Bloodworth. He basically comments, Writer's Block, which I covered last week, in my opinion, is a hidden SOB gem. Chris Lamont, the director, was actually my professor and mentor in college. I was so happy that he was able to link up with Tony and get the film uh, the DVD release it deserves. Very cool. Stephen Bloodworth is a reviewer on here. He covers a bunch of movies, extreme stuff and all that good stuff. Horror Cinema. Do you build your own shelves for your movies? I like the ones on your right and left uh, in your videos. I build my own, but I'm looking for ones that can stand alone without wall support. Now, these ones on the left and right, all the ones in the back I, I built myself, just kind of wall-mounted stuff, put, a, put brackets up, so not too much. Um, now, these ones I actually picked up when Family Video was closing. The only negative is they have a rough exterior, so like I worry that it will like scuff up the bottoms of the cases and shit. That's that's kind of crazy person talk, but you do worry about that kind of stuff when you're nuts. But uh, yeah, um, these were from Family Video when they were closing down. They I have two more in the garage just in case I need them for something else. Although I could never fit two more in here, they're freaking huge. Um, but yeah, they were very cheap when they're they're like ten bucks a piece and they're closing. They're huge. They're like six foot long, double sided. So. You know, one, two, three, four, five. They have six shelves. They have 12 shelves, six foot times 12. They're quite big. Unfortunately, if there's a closing video store or maybe they have them, I don't know if you could find these shelves. Um, but I personally was going to get like, you know, the video store like racks, the metal ones. I was going to get those and build them myself. So on wheels and I was going to build them up to like the ceiling really close and have two of those. And they would probably be cooler in here. I could probably get more on them. But they would have with all the the racking and and stuff like that they would have cost like $700 they would have been very expensive to get them so when i saw the video stores were closing and these were well priced i was like shit well that just saved me you know 700 bucks uh yeah so i don't build these so i got these from a video store and then we have ken coakley i sent in my lost franchises that get better um, the Dead Trilogy, obviously, Phantasm, Friday 13, Diamond Elm Street, Child's Play, Bride of Chucky was also favorite Leprechaun, but the one with Dylan Post was a bump in the road. Um, Halloween, Rocky, Dirty Harry. I have to retract a statement that the legacy of Text Chainsaw Massacre died with Toby Hooper. I think they can make a really good one if they were helmed by Rob Zombie for public consumption or the real right guy, Jim Van Beber. Van Beber would kill it, if anybody's ever seen Roadkill. Uh, it would be very gory, or Van Beber, who, along with Rob Zombie, has respect for the original movie, could challenge himself by making a movie without extreme gore, like Toby Hooper did with the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and John Carpenter did with Halloween. He says, like you, I show fan ownership with George Romero's Dead trilogy, but I also do the same with the second trilogy. I even defend Survival of the Dead. When I was in college, there was a girl that I didn't date, but I was in love with her. I still am, as we keep in touch. Anyway, she said that Night of the Living Dead was a snooze fest. I felt devastated. Of course, I knew that it was uh, an opinion. I also am a water carrier for the franchise, for Phantasm franchise. Phantasm franchise. Say that five times fast. I went to get a gas station, uh, get gas at a station, and paid cash. I wanted to pay the cashier, saw my Phantasm T-shirt, and said he loves that movie. You would have thought I was in. Uh, uh, you thought I was Don Coscarelli. I have so many different sets of Phantasm. Luckily, I still have them as movies were saved, so they're in storage at my sister's house. Now I have more motivation to get walking again. Good luck. Uh, hope, hope you have a speedy recovery. Tempo Tapos. The BrainScan main title theme is very good. The combination of rhythmic haunting bass line and the jangly guitar make for a real dark groove. It sounds like uh, Angelo Badalamenti worship to me, as it would fit uh, perfectly in anything David Lynch directed in the 90s. 
Uh, compare the pink room from Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me, or Dub Driving from Lost Highway, especially. Yeah, I, I feel like I do remember some of the, the Lost Highway kind of riffs being like that. Jim Simon, great update, uh, Dave. Great haul. Thanks for reviewing The Laughing Policeman. Great film. One of my favorite films uh, of both Bruce Dern and Walter Matthau. They are great together in it. Yeah, Bruce, they're both great. Uh, Sourpuss, Walter Matthau, and, and Bruce Dern is just always intense. Mood 616, why wouldn't you mention this short on the podcast we recorded on Monday? Haha. <laughs> oh, that's right. You were in Mr. Parker Mind State, I guess. Yeah. True messing up Invasion of the USA is just unforgivable. You're fired. Lynch is godly in that film. Uh, yeah, everybody knows that I got two personalities here. JT of the Dead, awesome haul, Dave. I got both alligator films also. They were both childhood faves. I need to pick up Drop Dead Fred, also a childhood fave of mine. I definitely need to get that madman. Been years since I've seen it. Thank you. Uh, Floyd75, Dylan, I think as punishment for making you watch Moulin Rouge, Jeremy has to watch The Shining. I agree. I agree. Jason Bovey, 1419. Well, the dudes involved in the activity were gangbangers, right? He's talking about modern vampires. Yep, they were. Uh, Darren Hartley. Hi, Dave. Mansion of the Doomed, or better known as Massacre Mansion, 75, in the UK, is another title that was confiscated by our boys in blue, who had nothing much to watch on TV back in the early 1980s, and ended up on the lesser Section 3 list of nasties, released by Vipco's Mike Lee. Apparently, there was a rumor the negative didn't exist anymore, and Charles Band found the negative in a warehouse undiscovered for 40 years. Maybe the same building he found those genuine big box of wizard videos he was trying to sell as authentic? Possibly. Possibly. Sam, my words. As a Halloween fanboy, Halloween. This is fan ownership again. James Higgins, definitely alien. I know it leans more to sci-fi, but I'm obsessed. Salvador Funkenstein, phantasm for sure. Nobody attempt to reboot, please. Rob Kopinski, agreed. Peter McCain, uh, need to make one more with a good budget, in my opinion. Rebecca Reinhardt, Friday 13th, I am overprotective of Jason, as Pamela, as Pamela was. <laughs> Art editor, Vice Academy, strange uh, one there. Aaron Fram, scanners. Jason Koch, I used to be like that with Halloween, like in that uh, between... Kurt, uh, like in that between curse and H2O period, that ni- though 98% of it was meant to piss off the girls that wouldn't shut the fuck up about a Titanic. Okay. Uh, Gary uh, Carper, Friday 13th, Ron Ford, Creature from the Lack of Trilogy. Love those movies. One and three. I, I actually prefer three over two. I think that's kind of weird. Steve Mc- I love three. Steve McNulty, Hellraiser. David L. Tamarin, Friday 13th, My Whole Wardrobe is F13. Right now I'm wearing Jason Socks and Crystal Lake Pants. Fuck the, f- fuck the fucking putrid remake. Dustin Hubbard, a Witchcraft. That's a crazy fan ownership right there. Sean, he might actually own the rights to some of those. Sean Donahue, Overweight Collectors. Hmm. Gabriel Juliet, Nightmare on Elm Street. Dan Gershelik, Hellraiser. Michael Church. Franchise, no, but I have a very unhealthy relationship with Blood Diner and Funny Man. Sheriff Ringo Anderson, The Shining. It may not be the franchise, but my spidey sense goes off when the faked moon landing fans clearly ignores the deeper visual commentary in Operation Paperclip, which is that the U.S. used Nazis like Von Braun, still available on Disney+, and their rocket, rocket tree tech to win the space race to the moon after World War II, which is probably harder to process that we use Nazis to do the heavy lifting and win versus good men faking an event in order to not lose. Those who cling to the Kubrick faked the moon landing interpretation are usually recycling other surface level theories on topic or quoting room 237 I have no real good reasons to doubt the moon landing other than trotting out casual slogans now I know people will be like that aren't familiar with uh, Operation Paperclip will be like what that sounds insane yeah America I think it is pretty fairly well documented in my understanding that we did use Nazi scientists after World War II to help us with our scientific stuff which is fucking disgusting but hey 
uh, Cody Lee Harding, Ghoulies Go to College, Gary Struthers, Camp Blood, all those sequels in only in the past 10 fucking years. I spent forever waiting on something new, and surprise, surprise, it ekes out a little at a time. I mean, it's not like it's a big franchise, so why? I don't like to complain, but... Yeah, okay. <laughs> Jason Siegel, I don't think it's unhealthy at all. Cough and Joe, thanks again. Art Editor for telling me to do it. The right people will know. Yeah, uh, Jason Siegel dresses as Cough and Joe at a lot of conventions. Carlos Lopez Jr., uh, Jason Siegel, no amount of Z's on... Co- I can't say his actual proper name. Love is too much. I don't reckon so. Mike Merriman, Nightmare on Elm Street, the better ones I love, the lesser ones I apologize. I'm apologist for. Amanda Bogaris, tiny voice, all of them. Uh, Corey Clark, the X Files count? Question mark. Jason Patrick, I guess the I guess them all. You know me, I'm a franchise guy. JP is. Uh, Cam Reeb, the Omen, even have part four. Nick Mua, the Candyman franchise, for lack of a better word. The original was one of the first horror films I ever saw. The experience has always stayed with me. I was less than impressed with the sequels. I haven't had the courage to check out the latest one. I might never watch it for fear of being disappointed as I was with parts two and three. Where's that little, I know I had here, is the last of it, sorry. This is me trying to save paper here. So, part of me wishes Hollyweird had stopped after the original, and it's evergreen that needs neither sequels nor remakes. Question, please name two subgenres of horror that people aren't watching but should be. Um, jeez, that's tough. Um, two subgenres of horror that people aren't watching that they should be. Um, I'll give you a country. Hong Kong. Watch more Hong Kong horror movies. There we go. And a subgenre that I think is underrated. Let me figure out one. Um, people watch a lot of possession, a lot of ghosts, a lot of zombies, slashers. I think a subgenre of horror that sh- monsters. Let's get some more fucking monsters. I wish that that people were watching more monster movies and talking about them. Would teenage Dave have noticed if his friends were vanishing one by one in a true slasher style? Absolutely. Teenage Dave hung out with his friends all the time. What's the silliest slasher you ever saw? Uh, take it easy and remember to feed the cats so they don't feed on you. Uh, silliest slasher I ever saw. Just off the top of my head, let's go with the Lumberjack Man. Um, is it the Lumberjack Man? Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the silliest slashers I've ever seen. But Nigel the Psychopath I just watched, that was very silly. There's tons of them. Pledge Night is silly. There's a lot of weird zany... Dream Stalker. Um, there's so many zany, weird, goofy slashers. Let's just go with the Lumberjack Man, which came out of, like, five years ago. Um, has Michael Madsen. The killer, like, he wheels around a giant wagon full of pancakes. The Oatmeal Man. That's another really fucking bonkers out of this fucking mind slasher movie about a guy who's like made of oatmeal that kills people. (laughs) Anything like that. It's gotta be that kind of shit, okay? Carlos Lopez Jr. Really like Wolf Wolf Creek character of Mick Taylor. He's particularly nasty and doesn't get enough recognition. The way he approaches murder is so casual and very necessary just cause sequels uh, are just as good, me thinks. Okay. So I don't have a question ready for you guys this week. I got lazy. Um, so I don't know if anybody's seen uh, any of the episodes. I don't really have a question here. Um, huh. Come on, man, you're too slow. Come on, let's get out. Come Okay, here's one that people always ask me. What is the rarest item in your movie collection? There we go. What is the rarest item in your movie collection? All right. Let's get into the Patreon drawing right here. And we're going to do the the update right here because it's only three titles. What's in the Patreon drawing? 
We've got five names I'm going to pull out for you guys. First one up, Tom Brooker, The Cottage. It's been a long time since I've watched that. I remember finding it quite funny. I'm sure I'll really like it. I don't think there's a Blu-ray release of The Cottage, unfortunately. I would have bought that. I like that movie. Um, then we have Jason Willard, The Seventh Curse, which is crazy because I have to watch The Seventh Curse for another channel, which uh, I guess I'm doing double reviews on this. So when I watch that for that, I'll, I'll make sure I watch it that week. Two Birds, One Stone. Very excited to watch The Seventh Curse. Um, Jason Willard got another one. House of Gucci. Yeah, he put House of Gucci in there. <laughs> uh, but I, I, It's a nice change of pace. Um, I have no problem with that. He picked um, A Star is Born. And I really liked that movie with Lady Gaga and uh, Bradley Cooper. It surprised me. I, I mean, I just was very surprised by it. Dustin Mills, The Tragedy of Macbeth by Joel Cohen. So there we go. We got four names. And one last one. Hope I get a bottom one here. I gotta reach in the bottom and pull some out. We got Eau Claire. A Disney movie I've not seen. So that should be cool. A Disney movie I've not seen. Maybe I'll pick Black Hole. I don't know. I don't know. Black Hole sounds fun. So let's hop into the update. It's gonna be very quick. We got 88 films release of um, The Black Cat. The uh, Isn't a Hong Kong flick. Looks very fun. Uh, good stuff here. Um, yeah, not to be confused with various retellings of Poe's famous tale, Black Cat is a high-octane Hong Kong action tour that provides a hugely entertaining precursor to the likes of Tarantino's Kill Bill 1 and South Korean classic The Villainous. And I'm going to read everything here. This movie looks awesome. I hear good things about it. So, yeah, awesome. Nice hard case. Go great with the Riccio and Robotrix. And then we have here from Third Window Films, The Legend of the Stardust Brothers. I got my Blu-ray import. Uh, had to have this one. Really liked it. It was very fun. Reviewed it a couple weeks back. And last, but certainly not least, Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, a.k.a. The Japanese Evil Dead on DVD. This looks bonkers. I didn't have this. Had to pick it up. I was hoping for a Blu-ray. No Blu-ray. That'll do. So, yeah, let's get out of here. All right, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Hey.